So if you were to read through the book of Acts from beginning to end, one of the things you would notice, one of the main points of this book is that the risen Christ sometimes actually shows up in the church. Sometimes the church is defined and shaped by the life of Christ so carefully that we look like Jesus. As scholar Willie Jennings says, the church repeats Jesus. Now, if you've been in the church very long, that may sound like a fantasy to you. But it is a witness from the early church that I find both hopeful and challenging. This is a story in part about Peter. Peter, that first-string disciple who, along with Paul, the outsider, gave shape to the early church. Here, Peter is summoned to Joppa because a beloved saint of the church has died. Her name was Tabitha, although some called her Dorcas. We haven't heard about her before, and we won't hear much about her again. But it, her death is important enough to the saints that they send for this first-string apostle, come to us at once. We learn two things about Tabitha. One is that she had two names. The other is that she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. She was, she was kind. She was kind. Peter comes and Peter repeats Jesus. If you remember the encounter with Jairus' daughter where Jesus is summoned and he comes and he sits beside her and he says, Child, get up, and the dead girl breathes. Well, so here, Peter is summoned, and he sits beside her, and he says, Tabitha, get up, and the woman, the dead woman, breathes. Now, I'm not going, I'm not going to pretend I can explain that. I've been in the church a long time, and I've never seen the power of Christ show up in just that way, and yet this is a story we need for it tells us something about ourselves. This is a story about Peter, but it's even more so a story about this woman who was mentioned only here. Tabitha, that's her Aramaic or Jewish, if you will, name. It's what Peter calls her. Her Greek friends call her Dorcas. Both names mean gazelle, and unless I completely miss it, I assume she is remembered as the gazelle woman because she darted around her community engaging in acts of kindness. That's why she had these two names. You know, names are are given and They're given because they say something about you and they speak of your belonging. Uh, This is what I mean. When I I was younger, I was called Tommy. There are still some folks from my home church that call me Tommy. And so every now and then I'll get a letter or an email and it starts out, Dear Tommy, and I don't have to read any more. I know that that comes from some saint connected to the Shalliford Church in Atlanta. 
because they're the only people in the world who still call me by that name, but I belong to them in just that fashion. When I was in college, my sweet mates gave me a nickname, and if you called me by that nickname, I would in an instant be transformed back to Smythe 305. It's not likely that you were going to call me by that nickname because wild horses would not pull that name from my lips. I'm not telling you. <laughs> but you get my point. So I wonder if this woman is called by two names because everyone laid claim to her. She belonged to them all. Saying that is something of a miracle. A little, a little church history. The most difficult, complex, all-encompassing social issue of the early church, without question, was race. The most difficult, all-consuming social issue of the early church was race. The relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Their worlds were divided. They were walled apart. They didn't share meals. They didn't share worship. They didn't share friendship. They were divided. One way actually to define what it is to be Jewish is you were not Gentile. That was one faithful understanding of what they were. And, and by the end of the book of Acts, what we discover is miraculously these peoples that had assumed they would be separated forever. It's just the way things are were finding themselves together in community. They ate together. They worshiped together. They even learned to love one another. Now, there were issues, right? There were issues. That's one reason we have the New Testament, is working through all of these issues. But the divisions that had assumed to be forever, eternal, were being bridged. But before we get to that happy ending, there is this woman with two names who appears to live as something of a bridge between divided peoples. Her name is Tabitha. That's how Peter would have known her, her Jewish name. But her heart is too big to be defined by one people. So she's also known as Dorcas. That's the name her Gentile friends gave her. So how is it that this little-known woman with two names is able to be one of the early bridges between divided peoples? I think it's because she was kind. When Peter came, it says, the widows of the community gathered around holding tunics and shawls and blankets that Tabitha had made for them. She darted from need to need in this community showing kindness to Tabitha. It didn't matter who you were. It just mattered that you had a need. Maybe your, maybe your need was because you were victimized by the harshness of life in some fashion. Maybe your need was just because you were dumb and made poor decisions. It didn't seem to matter to her. She just lived kindness. And I think kindness is a power. It's a power. This is a story about Peter, but I think Peter is summoned because God needed Peter to see this. The 
power of kindness to bring people together, the power of kindness to build bridges, the power of kindness to create community where it had not existed before because the church is called to create that kind of community even in places where it has not existed. And Peter needed to learn that from this little-known woman with two names. So a month or so ago, my wife Carol and I, we went with our kids to Scotland and Ireland. I, none of us had ever been before, and part of our journey is we took the train from Edinburgh up to Oban so that we might ferry over to the Isle of Iona. This required that we change trains in Glasgow, and so there we were, four Americans standing in the train station trying to figure out where our next train was when this fellow walked up there possibly was something obvious about us that we did not know what we were doing. <laughs> he said, can I help you? I said, well, we're trying to get the train to Oban. He says, oh, you have an hour and 20 minutes to wait on that. It's horrendous to wait here in the station. Why don't you go out and enjoy the city, have some lunch, come back, and then you can do it. I said, well, we've already swiped our tickets, don't want to buy. And he said, no worries, mate. I'll remember you. Just wave, and I'll let you back in. Friends, it happened just that way. We went out into Glasgow. We enjoyed the city. We had some lunch. We came back. I kind of waved, expecting him to go. <laughs> and he said, cheerio, mates, come right on in. And he just let us in without tickets or anything. My son, who lives in New York, he said, this is not the New York subway. <laughs> it was kindness. And the kindness extended to us. In a surprising way, it made me feel that I wasn't completely an outsider. It made me feel a little bit like I might belong even in this land that was new to me. Kindness is a power. Now, why am I talking to you about this? Because sometimes faith and kindness don't go together very easily. Sometimes the faithful believe we are not called to be kind, we are called to be pure, to remove, to remove the unrighteousness from us, or to remove the unrighteous ones from us to push the evil out, to wall it off, to separate it. We, we sometimes feel a temptation to be pure. In this trip, we walked through downtown Belfast with Paul. He's a historian and mediator, and he talked to us on a very personal level about what they call the troubles. This is the violence between Catholics and Protestants, Presbyterians were very much a part of this story in Northern Ireland. It was there that religion was used to destroy community, to destroy human beings, all under the guise of purity. Of course, that happens here as well. A couple of months ago, there was a shooting in a synagogue. This particular shooting and I hate that I have to describe it that way, this particular shooting, now that shooting has become as American as apple pie. 
this particular shooting, we learned that the shooter, whose name was John Ernest, is Presbyterian. Now, he's not of our denomination. He's Orthodox Presbyterian. It's a conservative branch that split off from our church in 1936, but don't expect your neighbors to split that hair. What shocked many is that Ernest entered that synagogue in violence because he said his faith taught him to do so. In the wake of 9-11 and other acts of violence, many Muslim clerics stood up and said, this violence is not of Islam. It's our turn now. It is our turn to stand up and say, this violence is not of the church. This kind of white supremacy is not of the church. There is nothing in Christianity that supports any expression of nationalism. Actually, there's nothing that supports white nationalism or nationalism of any kind. It's not of our faith. Christian faith is to break down barriers and create community even where none had existed before. That's why we know of this woman with two names. It's clear her kindness was a power. So at the end of our trip, you're getting my travelogue to Scotland. I hope that's okay. At the end of our trip, we flew back, you know, that short little hop over the pond all night long, and we landed in Chicago, and there we were, or we landed in Philly, and there we were to get our plane to Chicago, but storms were bad, so that gave us the opportunity to sit on the plane in Philly on the tarmac for two and a half hours, and then we finally got to Chicago, and after several delayed and canceled flights, they told us we had the privilege of spending the night in Chicago. We had only been up 27 hours, and so we got a cab to a hotel it is the worst, it was the worst cab ride in the history of wheels. <laughs> the defroster did not work in this cab, and so he rolled down the window so he could rub, the, and, and he actually asked, is that too much rain on you in the back? <laughs> and and then he asked if I had a, a cell phone, and I said, yes. He said, well, then could you pull up the directions and tell me how to get there? Because his map program didn't work. It was 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm telling the cabbie, turn right at the next light. I was not abundantly kind. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was not mean. I was what my family affectionately sometimes refers to as short. <laughs> I said, I'm not supposed to tell you how to get to the hotel. That's your job. You're supposed to tell us how to get there. Turn right at the next light. When we got to our hotel, my wife Carol, who is far kinder than I am in all circumstances, after all, she is married to me, she said, Tom, what do you think that guy's life is like? From his language, it was clear he had not been in this country very long. His cab was in horrible shape. He obviously got the worst one available. And he's driving the midnight shift. 
that's not on anybody's bucket list, right? I'd like to drive the midnight shift in a Chicago cab. If he's like other immigrants that I have known, I imagine he spent his days emptying trash cans in some nursing home or working on some loading dock, and he's spending his nights driving the midnight shift in Chicago without a map program that works. She says he looks like he is doing everything he can to make it and is barely holding on. The least we can do is be kind. And I was ashamed. And I was so grateful that he didn't know I was a Presbyterian pastor. Because I would have shamed the people I served and I would have shamed the Lord. You know, he was from somewhere in Africa, I could discern that it was a better than half chance he was Christian himself. And I had an opportunity to be kind in a modest way to repeat Jesus, and I didn't. And somehow I let the witness of Tabitha slip from my mind. She was a friend to everyone in her community. Like a gazelle, she darted from need to need, bringing kindness I think Luke lingers with this disciple with two names to remind the church that we are nothing if we are not kind. Philip Simmons, a former English professor at Lake Forest College in Illinois, was 35 years old when he was diagnosed with ALS. And over the next decade, as he battled this disease, he penned a little book called Learning to Fall, and in it he wrote, we know we are truly grown up when we stop trying to fix people. About all we can really do for people is love them and treat them with kindness. Others don't need us to fix them so much as they need simple kindness. Kindness is a power. And I wonder if in this divided, fractured, disrespectful culture of ours, I wonder if a consistent practice of kindness would work a miracle or two. Let me tell you about my friend David. He was a small shop, single attorney shop in a church I served before. His wife, Winky, I'm not making that up, that's her real name, his wife, Winky, was quite the football fan, and David was actually quite the cook. So when the Sunday school class met for, you know, the potluck dinner or whatnot at somebody's house, Winky would be in the backyard with the guys discussing the benefits of zone defense, and David would be in the kitchen swapping lemon meringue pie recipes. David never called attention to himself. To my knowledge, he never served on a board. He never joined a club that I am aware of. He never took a leadership position. I couldn't even get him to sit on the worship committee. I asked him, he said, oh, you got other people who do that better than I can. He was no mover and shaker. The only thing I could tell you about David is every time I saw him and said, David, how are you doing? His immediate response every time was, I'm better now that I've seen you. If you bumped into him somewhere, he'd say, sit down, you got a minute? I've been wanting to sit down. Tell me everything. Just tell me about everything. How's everything going? 
He went to the doctor because he had a cough. Within 10 days, he had died. We held his service, and we couldn't get everybody in the church. There were people standing up across the back. We actually had regular folk, not just choir members, regular folks sitting in the choir loft. There were, there were a number of people who stood outside in the Florida heat, just stood out on the sidewalk so they could be next to the building where the service was happening. We all carried our memories of his kindness. We carried them to that sanctuary like blankets and tunics and afghans, and we laid them before God like some prayer of thanksgiving, expressing gratitude for the practice of kindness that we had known from him. Kindness is a power. Tabitha was kind. I'm sure the people she cared for were like people you know. Some of them were brooding, some of them depressed, some of them totally self-absorbed, some of them angry at the cards that life had dealt them. She didn't try to fix any of that. She just showed kindness. So here's Here's what I think. I think we need that kind of miracle among us today. We may need it in the church. I know we need it in the country. The America that we love is not a given. We should not act like it's a given. America is not a given. It's a choice. And we are being eaten alive by self-righteousness on the left and self-righteousness on the right and hand-wringing apathy in the middle. Not all of that is violent, but the arrogance and dismissiveness of neighbor sows seeds of violence, so we should not be surprised at the rise of white nationalism and the suspicion of stranger that is in the air we breathe, and it is killing us. I hope you see it. It is killing us. And we need a resurrection. We need kindness for the stranger and the immigrant. We need kindness for the political foe and the person of a different religion. People who are divided can be brought together in community. It has happened before. That's why we know of this remarkable woman with two names. And we know of her because she was kind. So I suggest something simple and very hard. I suggest a practice of kindness. And perhaps the risen Christ will show up in the church again, even among us. I, I know, I know you're Presbyterian, so you don't consider yourself a miracle worker, but practice kindness. You never know. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.